don't know this, then you're behind the times. The only metric that matters is convenience. Rules apply to you. Suddenly you're an advertiser. This week on Social Minds. Advertising is ranking at a 34% trust level behind banking, energy and telecoms. We welcomed back our very own Oliver Yonchev, who's Managing Director of Social Chain USA, and who spent the last year growing our New York office. Yes, our US team now compete with some of the biggest agencies in the country, but it wasn't always that way for a British company moving stateside. We had all on the podcast to talk about the differences between the US and UK on matters of creativity, tone of voice and also advertising in general. Don't get it twisted. For me, the UK is far more innovative. I think the UK is far more creative. The US is just far more competitive. All this and more coming up. What do UK marketers need to know about breaking America? Wow, that's a loaded question. It always is, and we expect a loaded uh, answer. Okay, let's American answer. Are we, are we gonna Are we gonna unpack that in a sentence, or are we Are we gonna go after it? Um, you know, the the U.S. market's been, I think, as as Brits operating in the U.S., there's been it's been such a steep learning curve for us. Mm. Um, it's probably worth me mentioning sort of social change journey in the U.S. Yeah. yeah. So social change started two and a half years ago uh, in the US and we went out and and if you think about it, the agency was still very much in its infancy at the time. Yeah. Uh, we were, you know, heavily focused on social publishing as a primary thing, service that we offered. At the time, a wild reason, the idea that we could take on the US, it was this like delusional ambition mm. that we could go and figure things out. And, and that's what happened. People went out there, um, Michael Heaven, Katty, Tom, Sam, a couple of guys went out there um, and tried to replicate some of the things that we were doing. And I, I think the, the biggest stark realization of flying to New York, setting up an office was that... Um, when you enter such a big market, the, the idea that no one cares about you couldn't be more true. Yeah. Like if you think of what had happened in the UK, we built a really good reputation. Mm. Mm. Um, we built quite a lot of brand equity in the agency world. Mm. We'd really start to establish ourselves not only as a, a leading publisher, but actually as a, a world-class agency. And, you know, walking into the US, um, somewhat naive, thinking we could replicate things. Uh, it was very tough. Yeah, it was talk very about tough. a big pond. Yeah, a hundred percent. And just the size of the market, you know, you can extrapolate by eight by ten. Anything that you do, whether that's media budget, whether that's competition, whether that's diversity of audience, whatever you want to think about, um, you can probably apply that to the US. Mm. What was that market like? Oh, because obviously, like the US, there's so many massive, like, you know, agencies that have been known forever. Did you feel welcomed, I guess, by that market? Or was it kind of challenging like, to wait, kind of get in guys? by brands and by agent other agencies, I guess? You know what? I, I think there was a couple of things that were very different to the UK market. So one, um, the established, almost like, the, if you think of where we moved to be in New York, it's like the advertising mecca. So you've got so many established players in terms of traditional media entities. Um, you also then have all your creative agencies, you have all your digital agencies, you have all your PR agencies that somewhat in, in some capacity, each one of those touched on social. Mm. So we walk into it and we're, we're trying to think, you know, what's our place here? And that was probably the, the, the foundations of our work was figuring out what would make us stand out. 
And for me, it was never going to be a service. It was never going to be, we're going to offer a specific thing. We had mm. to be strategic on the types of services we could offer. I think our original intention was to, you know, work in a business development capacity and then lean on the UK for global resource. Um, but we quickly realized that US clients, you know, although they like the idea of, you know, a UK business, a UK agency, giving them some creative firepower, they want to do people and they want to do business with people that have a home there, that have a stake there. Yeah. And us acting somewhat transient, uh, we probably didn't gain too much traction or respect. So brands weren't quick to pick up on us and we quickly had to then sort of as we evolved in in people and we quickly had to sort of shift gear and figure out so how do we figure this out and i think stage one for us was helping some of our european partners figure out the us mm -hmm. and and kind of align our journey with that and mm -hmm. and that's kind of mm -hmm. the the foundations of the business was helping european brands work their way to the us um, but yeah, no small feat. It was very challenging. But I think in starting from zero and actually having the retrospect of seeing the UK business grow and seeing all the things that we did right and doubling down on those things, yeah. um, I, I think it gave us some advantages that we're starting to see mm. fruition today. Exactly. Yeah. When you when you put it like that, it's not really starting from scratch because there are like so much that we've there's so much that we've learned that you know you can take across to that mm. market um i'm curious like, in terms of the work uh -huh. obviously we've spoken a little bit to some u.s marketers um and we just sort of know from working in the industry that there is a difference in the way that you approach creating content for a uk audience versus an american audience but what are the biggest differences that you guys have noticed since working out there compared to here i, I think the biggest difference comes to size and landmass and it's to that spectrum of people if you think of the u.s as 50 plus countries you know, 320 million plus people, incredibly Scary. diverse population. Yeah. You know, you have the extremities in every sense of the word. Um, and I think that presents quite unique challenges. If you think of a, a business just on a, a scale level, if you want to talk to everyone in the US, the 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 amount of investment required to do such a thing, which means I think there's an appetite in the US, and this is a double, I suppose, a double barrel answer, but I think there's an appetite or there's a need for for US brands to be a little more innovative. Mm. They, In order to stand out, the vast majority of brands, unless you're Coca-Cola, unless you have the most significant media budgets, are going to have to innovate or create their way to any form of success. Yeah. Because there's so many of them, is that all? Yeah, that I, I, I think for many reasons, there's so much competition. If you're trying to sell things to lots of people in the US, there's a lot mm. of people doing that. And for me, it's, um, I, I think you layer up extreme competition, huge landmass, um, different types of people. Mm. I'm going to say that even the southern states are so different from the northern states. And within that, you've yeah. got like all kinds of communities, so much more diverse than the UK in in that retrospect, yeah. really. Yeah. yeah. If you think of a family in New York to LA to Atlanta, that family is very different. Yeah. The things they value is very different. The brands they choose to consume is very different. Mm. Um, and it requires, I think, a, a really high level of self-awareness of brands. And it's not to say in the UK brands don't need to be self-aware. I think in the social world, self-aware brands are the brands that are very successful. Mm. But I think in the US, um, it's probably ever more important. Yeah. I mean, maybe this is a slightly stereotypical, but 
considering how huge and how diverse America is, it's always seemed to me like, from the outside looking in that a lot of American marketing or advertising, and I mean the majority, not the innovators, seems to take the same tone for me. It all, um, like I'll use commercials on the TV as an example. Mm. They're all very sales-led and they're very like direct in telling you what they want you to do, which is buy now and it's a shiny offer and isn't it great? Why do you think that is so commonplace considering the diversity? Have they just found a formula that works or is more innovation needed? The honest answer is I probably don't know. I can take a guess at a couple of things. I think America is stuck a little bit in old Adland. Mm. It's a little bit of the Mad Men era coming through. Yeah. I think they they naturally move to doing things that they've always done. Um, and if you think culturally, they're unapologetic about being direct. Yeah. Like Which sales. in some instances like better than us. We were speaking to Teresa a couple uh -huh. of uh, weeks ago and she said that it's something we could actually improve on as UK yeah. marketers because we tend to beat around the bush and we don't really want to offend you know? people. We'd well, rather be a bit clever. And Yeah, we want to sort of, we want to find a purpose. We then want to create a complex user journey that speaks to people at different times and different moments. We want to be polite. You know, we want to give a lot before we ask for something. Mm. I think there's just a politeness to our marketing. Whereas in the US, if you just look at a broad spectrum of things that go on, um, I think a lot of US marketeers are happy to say, hey, we've got this thing, we want to sell it, and this is why you should buy it. Yeah. Um, whether that's right or wrong, um, I think I think the way you stand out today is being different. So I think for US brands or people trying to uh, navigate the US, being different is the only way to succeed. Mm. I mean, that obviously shines through in the uh, creativity as well, oh, and the sort of, I guess, the creative process that you guys over there have worked on. And a lot of people listening to this will like to know how ideas like Britta come along. What is the, mm. you know, the mm -hmm. creative process that you've stamped on there and that you've worked with the guys over there to do, Catty and, and so on, and um, how that kind of maybe differs from ours or, or just what it is altogether, really? Yeah, I, I think one of the things, and it goes back to like the challenges the business faced, working for a business with such a high profile or an agency, I think in markets where we know we could walk into a big brand and there's already a want to work with us in many cases. Mm. In the US, we didn't. there was none of that. We had to, you know, win purely on merit, purely on, and actually we're at a disadvantage because we're this unknown entity. Yeah. Uh, you know, we've got to win their trust in so many ways. So I, I think uh, one of the things that we identified early is that creative is going to define us and we need to create a culture that's creative, whether that's we're creative about our initiatives, whether that's we're creative to our, our work. So one of the foundations that we tried to build was kind of getting everyone to understand what creativity is. And for me, creativity is often um, convoluted with originality. Mm. Creativity and originality are very different things. Mm. People think creativity is being original, but what actually creativity is, is taking inspiration from different places and creating something new. Yeah, it's so hard to like create, come up with an idea that's completely original these mm. days anyway. So I think mm. you're sort of falling at the first hurdle, trying and trying to do that. You could be thinking, brainstorming for days and never come up with anything. Yeah, and you, you learn, and I'm a big believer uh, I'll use the phrase, I'll use the phrase, you steal from great things yeah. like you can and you can be inspired by those things. And I think um, one of the things that we did when we as a business started to recognize this was we changed the model of our, uh, you know, our workspace. 
we made sure, and in the UK, the UK workspace is phenomenally creative. There's so many mm-hmm. environments, so many textures, so many places to think. Um, in the US, we started to model some of that. We got a wall of inspiration. We started to have more physical things. We put um, great advertising to the forefront of our conversations. So actually, we made, and we, we started to appreciate, we started to recognize great creative thoughts and ideas, even the ones that didn't sell. Mm-hmm. So there's all these smaller things that compound to create a culture that everybody knows values creativity mm-hmm. and also mm-hmm. this idea that we can share ideas without judgment yeah. you know everyone has a voice we almost had in our we almost have unfiltered creative sessions we put out a casting call if you have an interest in sport we've got a brief for this sport brand you know come and contribute. Then what we did is we, you know, having a casting call with lots of people is a really inefficient way to get good ideas. So our creative sessions always start with the game. They always start with some form of warming up. Um, following that, we split off into groups. We make sure we're loaded with insight and that can be top line insight. It can be singular purpose. We try and take what are complex briefs often and make them really simple. Mm. We have a very clear idea on what our outputs want to be. We split into groups and we ideate and we Mm. split into small groups, no more than five. um, And then we come back and present them to each other. Once we present those ideas, what you tend to find is this, this build mentality. So one group said this one thing that you know, would be very complementary to this other thing that the other group's done. So you start to end up with this progressive creativity that's sent to be really effective for us. Yeah, that sounds like a really, really cool concept. It reminds me of, um, maybe I'm just in that sort of mindset because we were uh, at Arts University this morning, but it's how like an advertising class would approach exercises and workshops Mm -hmm. where it sort of creates that environment where everyone's really, really inspired. And I think maybe some companies, agencies kind of lose that if they go into the corporate world and they stop they stop collaborating that much yeah and I think there's an element of there's an element required that you have to be quite assertive and unapologetic about a good idea mm. we're very conscious of time running an agency is is you know time is incredibly valuable for everybody yeah. but particularly in a people business time yeah. matters um, so you know we keep these sessions short if it's not working if one group doesn't fire it doesn't matter there's no judgment we'll reset we're not sort of we don't over critique ourselves but when you have that one idea that may that one idea may be the first sentence that mm. you've got yeah. and then we also make sure we're very organized there's always someone in there that is focused on creating notes because creativity is a couple of things there's the ideation itself there's then the articulation of the idea mm. because great ideas uh, don't live on unless you can sell them mm. someone yeah. has to believe in them so you have to think about the articulation and then in our world creativity is like thinking creatively how you distribute that thing yeah you know taking a single idea and having it live in different environments mm. that's another form of creativity and that's a creativity based on knowledge of the ecosystem that is social media yeah definitely and for a social media agency first and foremost I want to know, does it change anything being that much closer to the companies, like yeah, where they were born, the platforms themselves, where features break and you're you're there at the right time? Because I know from our side on the UK, we're, you know, as hot off the press as we can be, yeah. but we're not where it's happening. So does Your does that does that change anything? Yeah, I think so. I think the opportunity to get beaters and and learn and, and things are rolled out in the US far more often than they are in European markets quicker. Mm. Um, I think it goes back to good brands will do that. I think good brands see opportunity. And one of our jobs is generally finding uh, opportunities in the social space 
um, and future-proofing the brands we work with. I think a big thing we're always trying to do is genuinely make ourselves redundant. We do something interesting. We know that won't live on. There's opportunity. Mm. There's opportunity in uh, for a short period of time. Often, yeah. So yeah, we we work with people, and we're very clear, and we're quite unapologetic about why you would work with us, mm. and that's one of the reasons. And whether that's us, you know, sharing our knowledge, over communicating to our clients, hey, there's this cool thing happened. It might not mean anything, but they get to understand that that's what we're trying to do. Mm. If you want to work with social chain. Um, you want to work with social chain because we're creative and we try new things. Yeah. And actually, if 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 that isn't if that isn't part of your business DNA and it isn't an appetite to have those ambitions, then we're probably not the right business. Yeah, so it's not going to work anyway. Yeah, it's got to be it's got to be complementary. Mm. And and on the note of the client solve, for somebody who's seen both sides and for somebody mm -hmm. who's been in UK pitches and US pitches and you know very you know awesome pitches. Um, what is the, how, how does it, are they asking for different things, brands in the US and brands in the UK? Because we always say vanity metrics, for instance, likes and shares, they mean very little. It's all about mm -hmm. the bottom line. I wonder what the US stance is that. Do they see, you know, is it about the dollar bill or is it about the vanity metrics, the big numbers? Is it a bit of both? What's there? I, I think in the US, there's a maturity to the social market in the sense that um, I think it's held to a greater account than a lot of other industries. So in the US, there's, there's a very clear need for clear measurement, whether your goal is to sell something whether your goal is to engage a community, whether your goal is to let lots of people know you exist. You know, whatever the goal is, I think it's about setting those measurement frameworks from the off mm. and understanding if you've been successful against those things. Yeah. So I think there's a maturity to the market. I wouldn't say I wouldn't say there's grand differences. I don't think there's grand differences. I think but it's just a case because that, like you said, that's like the mecca of advertising and maybe it's a case of in so many years the UK will have that maturity as well. Yeah, and, and you know what? Don't get this... Don't don't get it twisted. For me, the UK is far more innovative. I think the UK is far more creative. The US is just far more competitive. Mm. And hence why I believe that social chain has a real opportunity to stand out. You know, yeah. we've seen phenomenal growth in the US market. What, you know, was two and a half years ago, two to three people, you know, we're a team of 40 people now, mm. you know, real incredible growth. We're working with, you know, world-class brands. Um, and that's sort of credit to everybody involved. But I, I think our foundations are two things. They're like really valuing creativity um, and also appreciating the the strategic underpinnings of like delivering great creative. Yeah. I guess you get that innovative side and the competitive side. Yeah. So best of both, really. Yeah. It strikes me that there's a there's you've, you've tapped into a British think and a British mentality in an American market, which also has its own nuances. And that's what I find most interesting because... As you know, you know, famous ad people, you know, you know, who are English and British have gone over to America mm -hmm. and that does fascinate me. But also what fascinates me, and we've, we've spoken a bit about the landmass, but also and a little bit about the diversity. Mm -hmm. But the fact that the diversity over there is so, uh, how can I say? Yeah, diverse, <laughs> exactly. Because, uh, you know, I'd, 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 you know, take a good guess that they're, the population of Hispanic people, of mm. uh, black people, yeah. African Americans, is sort of shadows some of the, you know the population of the UK in general here in a yeah. way. Yeah, I I think I think when it comes to that, the the diversity point is um, people are so different across um, just their roots, their backgrounds, um, and I think it goes to the point of like the self awareness. 
Um, brands can go tragically wrong if they if they get it wrong. Mm. And this this spans not just races. This is not just about the Hispanic community, the black community. Um, this is LGBT communities. Mm. If you think mm. of all of these, brands need to be very careful yeah. when going after certain demographic. If it isn't authentic and true to them. Mm. Good example, um, you know, a lot of brands in the US um, see growth opportunities in Hispanic markets. Mm. Mm. Um, so they will focus a lot of marketing efforts and certain headspace towards those markets. Um, and they'll latch on to, what's it called, Cinco de Mayo, I think? Yeah. yeah. Which isn't actually, no one in the Hispanic community really celebrates that. Mm. It's actually an external thing. So when brands celebrate it, it isn't actually something that's going to connect with the Hispanic population. Mm. It's something they do so they get it wrong. Yeah, it's it just a, makes it obvious that they're trying. Yeah, and, and you know what? It's the words, and I'm sure you guys have said this time and time again, and everyone's probably sick to death of hearing the word authenticity and being authentic. It's <laughs> yeah. like, like, We've got a buzzword ban, but if it works, I don't know. So it is true, the isn't it? It's most more more wanky true. word in marketing. Manky, for sure. that's a good word. More, <laughs> more of that, please. It's, it's, uh, but it's such why, a true why, statement. Why is, why is yeah. that? Oh, because I've definitely got my opinions on it. I say it every time. I, I think by using the word authenticity, you imply that everything that came before was inauthentic. So why do you think one we're using it so much now, and two, it is such a bastardized word so the the reason i think it's a, a bad word because it's like no shit like mm. be honest mm. yeah. like it's almost a no shit statement mm. people are fed up of it it's like oh be a, it's like saying to someone be a good person no shit <laughs> like okay. be a he, be right, a nice okay. brand that tells the truth yeah. like okay um i and i think the truth element is probably the reason it's overused when you look at all the research all the research indicates that trust is at an all-time low um, you know, that we're in this mass media negativity towards advertising, towards social platforms. Um, integrity and trust is something that seems to be scarce in the media mm. as well. Um, I think it's Edelman's latest report this year shows that advertising is now uh, ranking at a 34% trust level behind banking, energy, and telecoms. Wow, behind banking. This is this is the thing that offends me. I go, uh, one of my talks on stage centers around trust. And the big thing is, what offends me is that bankers are more trusted than me and you and the yeah. people, in, mm. you know, mm. <laughs> the people we work with. Yeah. And that that's, a, that's why I think the industry is obsessed with this word authenticity. Um, it's a no shit moment, but I think brands that are doing it well, I think brands that don't take them to itself too seriously. And I, I think one thing you can point to in the US where I think certain categories of brands have done really well are like the fast food sector. If you think of how they've they've utilized Twitter in a really mm. interesting way, they have yeah. banter between yeah. themselves. Yeah. And Twitter's one of those platforms that, you know, it's very it's not really changed since its inception. However, for me today, it presents one of the greatest opportunities for brands mm. because it's still one of the only places you can reach millions of people with a witty sentence. Yeah. You know, and that, that's pretty special. When oh, I love it. It's, it's <laughs> the reason why social media was so appealing to, to brands five years ago. Mm. It was like, oh, this magic, we don't pay a lot of money, but we yeah. can reach lots of people. Yeah. And that was the magic of it. And, you know, that becomes more challenging as platforms develop, as algorithms develop. Twitter still holds a special place in, a, I think, a creative's heart. And I think a lot of American brands like your Wendy's, your fast food, have really paved the way, your Burger Kings. They've created their way. And I think what they've demonstrated to other brands, and not every brand has to be funny and have that personality. Personality, mm. if that's not true to their identity. Yeah. 
But what I think it has demonstrated is that, you know, a level of trust and self-awareness and actually not taking yourself too seriously mm-hmm. is a pretty, a pretty solid marketing strategy. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned the the fast food chains like like Wendy's and McDonald's and Burger King and such. Um, but if we go back to the differences between like America and the UK, um, like that sort of tone of voice and that, that kind of content seems really like fun, um, etc. But is that something that we see more from American brands than UK brands? Or is that something that we can do more of? You know what? I don't think it's American or US. I think it's category. Mm. I think you've got like a Burger King, a Wendy's that's trailblazed. Yeah. They've innovated in on a platform. That's what it is. It's innovation. It's taking a creative outlet. So you've got, they will be cited time and time again of using that effectively. Mm. Um, But there are tons of small businesses out here. There's a company I follow on Twitter called Arena Flowers. They got, you know, I think they're, I don't even know what they, they may be a little flower shop and they have tens of thousands of followers because they just put really funny tweets out there. Yeah, I like it. I like it when you see small businesses. Yeah, it's it's interesting. And I, I think there's opportunity in there. And it's and and there's a role, but I wouldn't say I wouldn't say it's a UK US thing. Yeah, I actually do think UK businesses are more um, innovative, more creative as a whole. I just think US businesses, there's just more of them. Yeah, and there's a grand, I suppose, a grander scale as well. So, like you know, there's probably so many things that we don't see here, but you know, certain things that we see in Adweek and Fast Company and all these sort of American uh, publications. Um, and one of the things. I know that you've spoken about as well on the uh, talk circuit in LA in, uh, you know, various sort of publications is influencer marketing, because as everybody listening to this podcast will know, we we really sort of kind of set a benchmark at one point in influencer marketing mm-hmm. and still do, um, you know, with the launch of Likewise and whatnot. And, uh, you know, before this uh, podcast speaking to you, it's interesting, you know, to hear the US perception of influencer marketing mm-hmm. and the fact that that is an area where maybe they are quite advanced with. Mm-hmm. I wonder if you can... Yeah, I think they've been practitioners of influencer marketing longer than European markets. I think if you think of the what we would call... What I would say is... Uh, a typical influencer creator as such. A lot of them have been LA-centric. A lot of them, they've set the precedence or the blueprint, dare I say it, the sort of Kardashian effect of what it is to be, you know, grow a large social following and such. Um, So I I think the market's very established in two respects. The social publishing side, which I consider that to be faceless influence, large social communities, you know, that aren't about an individual, but about a passion Mm. or, you know, a brand as such. Um, then individuals, and those two markets are really established in the US. I think they've been traded for a while. Um, I think the US have developed probably more, it's more expensive to work with people in the US because it's more established. There's a much greater network of influencer agencies, Mm. influencer management companies, all these things together compound. And just through trial and error of adoption, um, I think the US have established... Uh, probably a healthier respect for the industry. Mm. Meaning that, what I mean by that statement is that I think a lot of brands go into influencer marketing quite bullish. They go in, go in, you know what? A lot of co- a lot of brands have emerged. Influencer marketing has been a key component of their success. Four years later, we're going to try it ourselves. We're going to dip our toe in the market. Mm. Yeah. And, and I still think influencer marketing is still one of the most powerful things you can do today when you get it right. We see this time and time again. But I also think in the same statement, I think eight out of 10 influencers don't drive results. Yeah. 
I really think it's yeah, as staggering as that. so many of them. Like, at some point, you've got to assume quantities overwhelm and quality. Um, like, for me, when there's something, um, like, perception-wise, when I think of influencers in America versus influencers here, it's just where my head goes to first. If you picture someone making a YouTube video, it's American. And do you think maybe that on the user front, America's a little bit more established for influencer marketing because maybe we're more likely to watch... Uh, influencers in America than they are to watch here, sort of the same way that we'd watch Hollywood movies a bit more because that's sort of where we're used to watching things and we're used to hearing things in an American accent. Yeah, it's a good point. Like uh, a lot of culture, Britain punches above its weight in many respects, mm. like in, in the music industry. But yeah, there's this adoption. But if you think of, you know, entertainment as a whole, Hollywood, it's very sort of in that reverse. There's a familiarity there. Yeah, it feels natural. Yeah, and, and some of the brands, you know, brands that have a global presence, brands that may start a podcast, you know, they they have a need probably to present themselves as an Americanized brand. If they're a global brand, a lot of times America will be the default, mm. despite maybe the UK being a larger market for them. Yeah. You know, in terms of growth. So yeah, I totally agree with you. I think I think that's a lot to do with it. I think just the length of time that people have been practicing influencer marketing. Yeah. I think media spends continued to increase in those areas. And there's a multitude of factors why it's different. But yeah, it's it's still a big part of our business. It's still a big part of what we're helping brands navigate. Yeah. And, and as well as that, we touched on their creativity earlier, uh, touched on the innovation. What about purely ideas? Because I guess an idea is whether it's in the US, whether it's in the UK, it's, it's, it is all about the idea. What what ideas do the US buy into that the UK don't and vice versa, would you say? From an idea standpoint, I, I think people just buy great ideas. I, I, I wouldn't even say there's a big divide between the people. I think there's a... Uh, there's probably more of a, a skepticism in the US to good ideas. Mm. Do they feel like they've seen it all before? In maybe, a sense, maybe. Or... I, I don't know. I, I, the honest answer is I, d I don't know. I would say ideas are something that I think all advertisers should value most. Mm. And you can't often put a price on a, a great idea. Yeah. The, the best ad campaigns. You know, they're defining for brands. They leave a legacy. So yeah. I think people should value ideas. Whether there's a difference or not, who knows? I wonder the same about execution then rather than the idea. Because I don't know, obviously, that way around. But over here, uh, maybe it's because I watch too much TV, but I'll come out with a line of copy or an idea and I'll get knocked back with, mm, it's a bit American. Sounds a bit American. Yeah. The, one of the challenges we have as well, just on the, and this is a, just a, a, an operational thing, from the US, we service a lot of European businesses. Uh, we service a lot of American businesses um, and our copywriters are switching between the two mm. Americanized terms. But then it goes to the stance of like, you should have a well-informed strategy. I think there's a reality of, if you think of there's a huge different cultural difference from one state to another, there's a huge cultural difference for between Americans and people in the UK. Yeah, so it I, seems to be like nuances in your tone. Yeah, mm. and, and actually it's a bigger question. We often get asked by brands all the time that have a global presence, um, you know, should we have a page for each country? Yeah. And it's a big question that a lot of brands consider is like, should we have a presence in the US? And there's, there's two parts to this answer. The answer is 100% if you can resource it adequately, mm. like 100%. However, you are much better to put all your resource into a single channel and do that effectively yeah. and well yeah. than spread yourself too thinly. Mm. Mm. I mean, language barriers aside, I think there's merit as well, especially in terms of copywriting, of having a, a page that covers 
uh, Europe, you know, England, America, what have you, and you can see content from anywhere and just know that it's that brand. Yeah. Um. So uh, yeah, voice, diff- exactly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, we do. We've just in the US, we start working with Uber. Um, and very if you look exciting. At, that's very exciting. Uh, brand that we we often do sort of dream client initiatives where we try. We want people to work on brands they love, and Uber is always one of those brands. Um, it's the first thing you get off when you get on a plane. Mm. There's a familiarity, so, yeah. the scale, the biggest transport company. There's so many reasons to get excited about that brand. Um, and one of the things that we sort of noted about Uber, you look at their their primary channel. We look after their each channel, and their primary channel, their global channel is despite catering to the American audience, I believe is about 30% American following. Social media is global, disproportionate. It doesn't matter where you go. If you're a brand uh, and you have a global presence, you know, even a brand like that that services every single market and they have a page for every single one of those markets, you know, uh, people still like to gravitate towards the main thing. Yeah, it's universal. And I won't, I won't ask you to quote the numbers off your head, oh, unless you know them, <laughs> but what, what interests Trusted me when we were doing a bit of research as well, speaking for this podcast, was what you said about the disproportionate amount of spend on social in advertising mm-hmm. the US compared to the UK. Right, I'm gonna I'm gonna bastardize these numbers, but I'm gonna give it a go. <laughs> yeah. um, so ahead of me moving out to the US, you're obviously trying to get prepared and get an understanding of the landscape. And you know, at the time, the the media market expected for sort of 2019 is about a $200 billion spend. And when you compare that to the UK, there's about, a, I think it's a seven or eight times difference. Wow. There's a, it's, co- it's very big. disproportionate. It's big market, hence why it's so competitive. Yeah. Why people want a slice of that giant pie. Um, so the opportunity there is so significant. When you look at social spend specifically, um, Social spend in the UK, in the US, accounts for about seven and a half, eight percent of US media budget. In the UK, we account for, I believe, about 14 percent. It's somewhere in those ballparks. Mm. So actually in the UK, and I think there's a couple of reasons for that. I think it goes to traditional ad land. I think you've got a much more fragmented media market out there. You've mm. got more mm. choices. Like our media choices, we don't just, in the US, we do a lot of social, but we also do some out of home. We do yeah. TV ads. We do a lot of different things. We have a company that we work with in the US. They're called the world's smallest billboard, and they distribute uh, fortune cookies with branded messages <laughs> throughout 40,000 Chinese restaurants and takeaways I in the US. That. I love that. And, you know, we saw an opportunity in working with them. We look at a brand. Most brands ruin it. You'll get like a bank that goes in there and goes, your lucky day, 4% cash back and a picture <laughs> of their credit card. <laughs> Creativity <laughs> lacking. They lose it all together. Okay, hon. Yeah, there's such, an opp- there's such an opportunity for wit, banter, interesting that's very shareable, that's integrated with social. Mm. So you think of that as just an option in the US, um, I, I think one of the defining factors is just simply choice. And I also think in the UK, although the UK social market is in some respects behind, it's also ahead in terms of adoption. We have less media choices. Yeah. If you want to buy radio, you go to Bauer Media or Global. Yeah. You have two providers generally. If you want to buy TV, you go ITV, mm. Sky, Channel 4. You're very limited in your media. In the US, there's so many. So I think social accounts for so much more simply for that reason. Yeah. Do you think that um, affects creativity then on our side of the pond? Because if there's less options, I mean, I feel like here at the moment, you know, you're saying we're primarily social first here, but in America, there's 
loads of choice and you're not trying to restrict yourselves in that way and I feel like here just the the landscape in general it's very much one or the other like Mm -hmm. us and them we're digital and traditional yeah and I think that's the role of agencies and marketeers to bridge that gap you've gone through this rapid change of media landscape a rapid change of how agencies are made up being if you think of the the makeup historically it's you have someone that buys media you have a creative agency that thinks of the ideas. Mm, mm. You'll have a design agency or a production house that create those ideas. Mm. Um, and if you think of in a digital landscape where uh, you're creating so many of those things, um, th- there's a level of unity that's required. Hence why brands now look for more specialist solutions. Mm. It's yeah. inefficient mm. to work with five people. Yeah. It's much better to work with one person, mm. but it's actually, it's not the most effective way to deliver results. Yeah. So I think there's a, there's a need from brands in many respects to, uh, to kind of follow that. I think back to the, the question of sort of, does it stifle creativity? I, I think it's a yes and no answer, honestly. I think creativity in in the traditional sense of a great idea, um, that doesn't matter where you are. Yeah. Like a great idea is a great idea. Um, I think in your ability to execute that in interesting ways, the reason we do out of home on occasion is because it's anchored to a social idea. Yeah. It's anchored to something we think shareable. It's yeah. a clever placement mm. that will be shared. That's it. It's when it's justified. Those things. When it's justified, I think it's the, the right answer. Cool. I want to end on a final point. I, I believe you, I mean, you can correct me that this was a question from our community, our social minds group community uh, that was saying, I w- wondered if you had any sage advice to finish off with for those on the other side of uh, business, those not on agency side, but those uh, UK businesses who are looking to set up in the US. Um, no, set up in general. Someone asked on the on, ah, the, on the okay. Facebook right. page. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so going away from setting up an existing agency in a different country, mm. it was getting started full stop. Okay, uh, there's a couple of things. I think I think the opportunity in the US is for all the reasons you've highlighted. I think are so vast. So it's such an appealing, but it's so much more competitive. I, I think you can go into the US. You can go into the US. I think the best foundation is speak to as many people as you can who's done it. Mm. Like allow others to make those mistakes. I, I think it's a really important thing. I think in the US, network's really important as yeah. well. And the other thing, as a British business starting in the US, there's a camaraderie as well. There really is a like, willingness to help each other out. Mm. Yeah. So there's a big opportunity of linking with other Brits. Depending on your business, whether you're trying to sell things, you know, a lot of our clients have successfully taken UK businesses and become big businesses in the US, yeah. particularly in the fashion sector. They've done it pretty successfully. What I would say, top tips, go in graciously. Don't think you know it all. Whatever worked in the UK might not work in the US. Mm. <laughs> um, I think the reality of starting any business is you work incredibly hard. Uh, And I I think one thing you have to do in translating any business from, say, the UK to the US is you need to figure out what makes you special. Yeah. Like I always use the example of, say, a uh, a McDonald's, right? Like Mm. a McDonald's. If you go to a McDonald's anywhere in the world, there's the things that you know you're going to get. You're going to get a burger. You're going to get fries. Mm. But Mm. if you go to it in certain Asian countries, you're going to get like a, you know, like instead of a chicken nugget, you're going to get a chicken nugget, but you're also going to get like a fish nugget. Yeah. (laughs) There's nuances that requires that market, but find out what makes you special, what your values are, anchor to them. And that should be the foundation of maybe success. Well said. Sage advice as always. Oh, and also uh, the, we briefly mentioned the Facebook group. I think you might be part of it, the Facebook Social Minds group. 
Um, oh, but if you're not, please uh, join. And obviously, he is. Uh, He's in there. He's not it. like <laughs> he is in it. Right, he of course he is. is. And. And obviously, as we say at the end of these podcasts uh, nowadays, please feel free to ask any more questions to O and he will answer them and we will try our best to as well if you have anything for us. Yeah, of course, said it all. Amazing. Great to have you on again. No, o, thank you guys. For the second time. Thank you. Love your work. Much. Yeah, thank, thank, you. You. thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. We really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please remember to leave us a review on iTunes because it really, really helps and allows us to bring you brand new episodes every single week. This has been the Social Minds Podcast with myself, Theo Watts. Eve Young and produced by Ollie Thompson. 